that you would be with us um, as we listen, as we hear your word. Help us to draw into your presence. Help us to um, help us to hear from you and to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is uh, the last sermon in the Missing Pieces series, uh, my puzzle-themed uh, sermon series, which, by the way, today is National Puzzle Day. And it was definitely not accidentally that I ended the series on this Sunday. It was completely intentional. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was in uh, when I was in college, I, I my first adult quote unquote adult car I purchased was a uh, was a two hundred and fifty dollar uh, Lincoln Continental. It was a it was a nineteen seventy eight. When you open the hood, uh, if it was a windy day, the whole car shook, like from the wind hitting the sail, like it was or the hood. Um, and I, I learned how to repair cars with that with that particular vehicle, and that was um, that was uh, an adventure. Uh, I didn't take a class. I I didn't have a family member who taught me. Um, um, I I bought a book and a box of tools and parts. And and I remember one of the first major things I did with that car um, after I managed to get it to run enough to get it home from the place I bought it. Uh, was there was a uh, there was a, a vacuum advance on the transmission that had gone bad and I needed to replace it so it would shift. Um, it was a great car, uh, but that that little vacuum advance I remember I bought it and I got up underneath the car and I pulled the old one out and drained all this transmission fluid all over the parking lot. That was a really fun lesson too. The dorm uh, the dorm manager loved me, um, and and so. I, I replaced this thing, and I remember getting done and looking into the box it came in, and there were all these extra parts, which is not a good sign. Like, when you're replacing one vacuum advance, there should never be extra parts, right? Like, something that simple. And, of course, it's a natural rule of mechanical work is there's always extra parts. In this case, the extra parts were gaskets, um, because nobody explained to me the importance or value of gaskets in automotive repair. Um, for those of you all who are, are not aware, gaskets prevent fluid from running out. And so I, I put it back together. I ran new fluid in it. I drove about a quarter mile. And you could tell exactly where I went because you could follow the breadcrumbs um, all the way to where my car broke down. And, and I had to get a handful of guys to push my, you know, land barge home, you know, and and, and I, I sat down and I figured out that, oh, wait, like these, these gaskets, they, they serve a purpose. And like that purpose, again, is like they, they seal, right? They hold everything in. And, and my missing piece in my automotive work that day um, caused me to break down. Everybody with me? Um, as, I, as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, I want to kind of put this into perspective um, there are pieces that God designed to be a part of our life in relation to him, right? These, these parts of our faith journey, these parts of our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, like there are these parts that are supposed to be there. And if we neglect them, if we ignore them, if we walk on as though they don't matter, what ends up happening is the best parts of walking with God drain away, Right? And we end up with this, like, big, heavy thing we can't move on our own, right? Like, we end up with either obeying the rules, like, out of obligation, or we end up with um, sort of this miserable resentment of everybody around us 
or, or what have you. Like, but Christianity becomes a crushing system of rules if we don't like, do it the way we're meant to. Everybody with me? And so um, as we go forward, a little bit of background, if I can ever get my slides to work again. Um, a little bit of background. Uh, the book so far, John is addressing a, a church or a group of churches. It's not entirely clear, but um, that have gone through a split. And this split is connected to a group of folks who have taught some things that are just not accurate to the gospel. They were teaching that Jesus was not the Son of God, that Jesus is sort of this passing figure, that, that in reality Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus, and that it's all about um, relationship with God the Father, with, you know, with God of the Old Testament, and like perfect obedience to the law, like perfection. And these actually, these folks would teach that they had reached a state of, you know, we no longer sin. And John so far in this book has sort of attacked their doctrine, but he's also attacked the fact that they, you know, aren't really actually particularly perfect, that they're pretty bad at following the law. Um, in the last series of sermons, we've, we've kind of looked at this major argument building up to this sort of final culmination. And the series like of arguments so far has been um, holiness is next to coffee. Uh, no, that's not right. Um, I was picking up a coffee cup, sorry. Uh, holiness, right, is a part of being a follower of Jesus. We pursue holiness because that's what it means to be in right relationship with God is we follow, like, these sort of holiness expectations. Um, you know, we don't follow rules because it earns us something. We follow rules because it's a part of being in relationship. Um, the next thing he talks about is love, like that love is sort of the the, the transmission fluid in the deal, Right? If we do not maintain this love for our fellow believers, we're outside of God's will. And um, kind of, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. And as we come into what we're talking about today, he's coming into the, the very focus of all of this. Um, he sort of attacks false teaching in the, in the previous section. And now he's kind of coming all the way to the point. And we're going to work our way through the end of this. Um, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's a huge chunk of material right there. Um, and we're going to do our best to kind of work through some of these ideas. Um, he's returning to an emphasis of love within the community, right? He's talking about love within the church. He's saying, listen, brothers and sisters in the church, you need to love each other, right? And that applies to us too. Everybody with me? So like... The people sitting around you right now and the people sitting over at, at the Methodist Church and the people sitting over at the, at the Lutheran Church, we're supposed to love those folks, right? Because we're, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. Like, that is it. Like, we are connected. God has adopted them as children the same as he's adopted us. We are to love one another. That is, that is a foundational rule. Um, and and it, it, if we stop doing that, we break down, Right? I'm sure any of y'all ever been around Christians who can't seem to get along for five minutes? I mean, that's, it becomes miserable. I, I, uh, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I, I, it becomes like this burden. It's like trying to push an old, old continental, you know, that won't run on its own, right? It's, it's just work. Every day showing up, every day trying to follow God, every t- day trying to deal with, you know, the, the brothers and sisters and all that. It becomes this work that's crushing. In its, in its weight, in its drain on us spiritually and, and emotionally. Um, 
because because you know once the love in the church dissipates it's 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 we're on our own honestly how do we know we're on our own well what john is saying to us here is love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god so saying listen we love one another because we're we're new people right god makes us new people and that love comes out of that like being new people um this is by the way not love as like um as twitter patient right it's not it's not thumper love. It's not the warm, squishy love we hear about in, in, uh, in bad teenage pop songs, right? This is a deeper, more substantial, difficult love that he's going to talk about more in depth as we go. But I want to clarify. Now, there's kind of a funny little statement here. God is love. We've heard this before, right? Um, there are folks who will take this and turn love into God, right? They are not the same thing. Um, we sometimes talk about God as though all there is is love and all there is is like, you know, this, this feeling that we have. And if it doesn't feel good, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not what he's saying here. He is saying that one of the foundational ways that God reveals himself to us is through love, right? And you'll get into that in a second, but I want to clarify, this is not the, the technical word is, this is not an ontological statement. He is not saying that God is just love. He's saying that when we see God, when we encounter God, we are lucky enough, we are blessed enough to encounter him in the sense of his love for us. Um, now, knowing God will always manifest itself in love for the people around you. Got it? If somebody says they know God and that turns into them beating the people around them up, they are not telling the truth and they are confused. You got it? Like, if, if the knowledge I have of God becomes a club that I carry that is not, that is not in harmony with what John is saying here. Um, and he's saying this because a big group of people just left this church and said, well, you guys are all lost and they fought their way out and then they, you know, attacked this church. And John is reassuring him. He's saying, listen, folks, this is how you know. Look at the people around you. Look at the fluid running right. You are not missing pieces. It is not running out. If all of the love and the harmony and everything runs out of your relationships, that ain't a good sign. Got it? Everybody with me? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So he says, God is love, and then he starts to explain it. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. All right, big old chunk of text again, and we're going to take it apart bit by bit. Um, So he says, God is love. And he says, this love is manifest. You see it. You are most graphically in public on display is in Jesus, right? Um, Paul, man, I love Paul. Paul puts it very hard as he's off, like, like as he does often. Um, when we were still God's enemies, right? When we were still God's, like, like opposition. When we, you know, in our sin and rebellion constantly warred against God, um, he sent his son for us. Like, he sent, he sent the most precious thing, you know, that there was 
for our sake. Um, I, I was teaching this week at Good News Club. I got to teach uh, the kids about Abraham and his son. There's this, this story in the Old Testament where Abraham waits like a hundred years to get a son. And Isaac, his son, is the most precious thing in his life. And God says, okay, Abraham, go take Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham takes his son off to the mountain to sacrifice him. And, and what we find there is, like if you look at it, there's about a hundred little parallels to the gospel story where like, they go to the same place where Jesus was eventually crucified, right? He takes his one and only son to sacrifice. He uh, makes Isaac carry the wood to the place where he'll be sacrificed, the way that Jesus carried the cross like, like to the sacrifice. Like there are all of these parallels, and basically God tells us the story of Jesus going to be killed. And it's funny because I read all of these, I've read all these arguments about it, and one of the things that's most commonly said about that particular account was God is horrible because he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. What a heartless, mean thing to do. And then God lets him go in the end. But what God was really teaching us was that he was, I mean, how much must God have agonized to send Jesus, right? For you. For you. Not because you're precious and wonderful. Not because the stars were aligned by your very name. Not because the sun rises and sets by you. None of that stuff. Like we live in this culture that says everything is about you and it's just not It happened because God loves you so much and his love is so amazing and beyond reason that he would go to any length on your account. Because you earned it? No. Because you deserve it? No. Because he loved you. And actually, John says that, right? Um, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. Meaning like we were incapable in our sin, in our lostness, in our depravity of loving God, but God still sent his son. And so we understand and are capable of love only because the son came for us first. Because the father steps toward us when we don't deserve it. Um, I tell folks this all the time, and I'm bad at it. How many of y'all know folks in your lives that do not deserve to be loved, but you have to deal with them? There's like three of us. Are you kidding me? (laughs) How many of you are lying right now? (laughs) Um, The reality is, the reality is that God does not love us when we deserve it. Our obligation is not to love people who deserve to be loved, right? Right? Even in the church, there are people all around you who do not deserve it. In your family, there are people who do not deserve it, right? Say it all the time to to folks like, you know, with your spouse, if you wait for your spouse to deserve your love, you are cheating. That is not how it works. You love your spouse because that's what God has put on you, right? Because that's the obligation of love, like love Real love, agape, like self-sacrificial love, like, like it begins with our giving up. It begins with our giving and sacrificing of self. Um, anyway, let's get back to where I was. Sorry, it was a rabbit trail. But it, it's an important rabbit trail. It's not even a rabbit trail. It's the point. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I'm in trouble. Uh, it is the point. The point is... Like, this love that we imitate out of God is invested in us by him. We are capable because he first loved us when we didn't deserve it. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Meaning, if God loved, God loved Jeremy that much, if God loved 
Rebecca that much. If God loved Frank that much, I ought to love him that much too, right? God loved me that much, I ought to love, well, I don't know. (laughs) Y'all ought to love me that much too. There it is. That's the way to say it. Um, (laughs) Oh, once it goes off the rails, it's hard to get back. Um, God abides, or excuse me, no one has ever seen God. And this is a recurring theme in John's Gospels. If you go read the Gospel of John, we preached through much of it this year, or last year. Um, Like there's this recurring theme from John, nobody has seen God, nobody has seen God, nobody has seen God. But we've seen his son, and we've seen his love manifest. Like God reveals himself, his love, the nature of his love to us in Christ. Um, But if we love one another, having not seen God, God abides in us. Um, and his love is perfected in us. Now, um, that's the gasket. Watch this. Um, but it's a gasket that's a funny one because it's a proof that's in, like, like that love for each other. You eliminate that and everything sort of pours out, right? We lose it. Um, God's presence in us makes it possible for us to do that. But if you eliminate your love for your brothers and sisters, like like the reality of God in our lives dissipates very quickly. Um, We quickly become something very different um, and a lot less. Uh, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, um, another big, chunky lot to be said here. Uh, and I've got to get back to my notes here. Sorry, I get way ahead of myself. Um, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. So like John is saying, here's your proof, right? Here's your proof. This is how you know that he's in you and you're in him and you guys are in relationship uh, because he has given us his spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit invades us lives within us, enables us, drives us. Some of you guys um, are sitting there and I'm talking about this and you're thinking about people you cannot stand and would like to like punch in the face right now. And you're saying, man, I, I don't want this part of me, right? Isn't it true? Like I, I know studying this verse is very hard for me this week because I get angry at people really quickly. And I, and I sit and I stew and I think about, man, that guy, you know what I mean? That guy, um, and in reality, like, this is the sinful nature. This is the flesh rising up and warring against the spirit within me. Because the spirit within me says, hey, back up. You know, Jesus died for that guy, right? Jesus died for, for my kids. Jesus died for my spouse. Jesus died for, for, you know, the people who tick me off on Facebook. Jesus died for people who were rude to me. Jesus died for people who gossip about me. Jesus who died... I mean, if God loved them that much, I'm, I gotta. And that's the Holy Spirit that makes it even possible. It is a superhuman effort um, that's a result, a supernatural effort, actually, a supernatural effort that is a result of God working a miracle in us. Um, and we have seen and testify. So John is, in the last section we talked about this, John sort of throws out his credentials as an eyewitness. John saw Jesus. John walked with Jesus. John like was, was there when Jesus died, watched him die on the cross. And he says, 
we have seen, meaning we, me, I have seen, and I testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, this is a quick thing. It's easy to say, oh, well, wait a minute. The love thing is the ultimate test, and in reality, it's not. Um, the ultimate test here is, um, like, is abiding in him and acknowledging and confessing him, right? The love is a byproduct, right? Um, I was trying to think of ways to explain this. It's a little like, it's a little like a jack-o'-lantern, right? I'm in the wrong month. I wish I had thought of this in October. Um, you cut it up, you put it on the porch, and it's dark, right? Until you put a light inside it. Um, this is the Holy Spirit in us. Um, enables us to confess this, enables us to, you know, he resides in us, enables us to reside in God, like enables us to walk in harmony with him and be in relationship with him. And the light that shines out of that is this love that we have for each other, an unreasonable love, an undeserved love, a painful love sometimes, right? Because it is hard to love some people. It is. And it's like they make it harder for us. So confessing this, and that confession is, is evidenced further in our relationship, in our love, in our self-sacrifice, in our pouring ourselves out for each other. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Um, so we've come to know and to believe the, God, the love that God has for us. This love that God has for us is Jesus, this propitiation for our sins. I brushed over that. Propitiation means like he is this sacrifice, like God takes our permanent record and applies it to him and takes his permanent record and applies it to us. It's like the switch. So when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw all of us and all of the sin we've committed and all the rebellion we have laid out and like he pours out all his wrath against our sins on Jesus, right? That is, he is our propitiation. The trade-off is he looks on us. He looks on each of you people. And what he sees isn't your righteousness because you haven't got any. He sees Jesus' righteousness, right? Anybody ever wish that in school, that you could switch your record with a smart kid? <laughs> I know I did. I know you're thinking I was the smart kid, but... But this is what that propitiation is. And so we come to believe that God's love is that dramatic, that powerful, that, that deep and, and, and terrifying almost because it's so big. Um, we believe that love. Um, we believe that this is a part of who God is. This love for us is, you know, God is love, meaning this poured out for us, this sacrifice for us, this astonishing loving act for us. We abide in him and he abides in us. Like, that's how we do this. We do this in the knowledge um, that we're made new in him. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We're not good enough. But he does it because he loves us. By this is love perfected with us. Now, watch this. Um, I was working on a car last year. Terry listened to me complain about it for months. Um, I fixed it and it wouldn't start would not start and I took it apart and fixed it again and it still wouldn't start and I went on the internet and I traded emails and I went to the auto parts store and I talked to everybody I could find and we could not figure out why that dumb car couldn't start right and I know what you're thinking it wasn't a Chevy um, 
<laughs> the, the problem that had happened had tripped a little switch in there, so there was no completion of the circuit that makes gas go into the engine, right? It was just a, oh, clo- you know, the circuit was imperfect. And because the circuit was imperfect, fuel never got into the engine, right? And so I could try forever and it wouldn't start. It wasn't until that circuit was closed that things moved because electricity moves in a circle, right? Always moves in a circle, um, sort of. By this, his love is perfected in us, meaning his love is made complete, meaning it has reached this point of connection, right? The circuit is closed. God's love goes from his nature to the act of Jesus on the cross to us, right? And it can stop at us like a, you know, like hitting a wall, right? And not make it any further. Um, it can end right there. Um, but it's only completed, it is only perfected when we act in this, when we like, like understand God's love for us and we understand it in the sense that we love the brothers and sisters around us, the people who don't deserve it, who, who we don't want to love, like, like we, love the, we love the body of Christ. Um, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And he's saying, listen, this manifest in you puts you in a position where you can stand before God and know you are okay. Right? Because there will be a day that Jesus is coming back. It is coming. Right? It's easy to forget that. It's easy to make jokes about it. It's easy to say, oh, it's going to happen one day. Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will judge the world. And when we stand before him, this perfected love in us, this perfected love in us that drives us to love each other, that drives us to pursue holiness, that is like the transmission fluid that makes your car go forward, this whole system, when we stand before him, we will be confident because he is also, excuse me, because as he is also, sorry, let me see if I can say this right, um, so that you, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Meaning we will be in this world in the way that he was. We will imitate him properly. Does that make sense? Are you all with me? Like we will operate in the way that he was. We will demonstrate our unity with him and our replication of him. The photocopier is not working right now, right? If it was working right now, it would. Take whatever you put on the glass and give you a roughly exact copy, right, if it was working. Our objective is to become copies of Jesus. Now, mind you, if you read the Gospels and you look at the kind of man Jesus was, Jesus was the kind of man where um, prostitutes approached him freely and talked with him and, like, poured perfume out on his feet to show him their, like, devotion to him and dried his feet with their hair and stuff like that. I mean, just... Just these, these, you know, the worst sinners in society came close to him and loved him and approached him and asked him questions and begged for forgiveness from him. And like we're in relationship with him. This is the kind of man Jesus was because Jesus was astonishingly loving. Some people will take that and say, oh, Jesus ignored sin. Actually, as a matter of fact, he didn't. He frequently would say, hey, go forth and sin no more. Hey, catch hold of yourself. Hey, you know, you know what you're not doing right? Do it right. And in fact, you read the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, um, anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. That is a high standard, right? He didn't lower the standards, but he demonstrated that through this new life, this love that Christ imbues in us through the Holy Spirit, like that he demonstrates in his sacrifice, it's possible for us to be better. 
it's possible for us to be different. There is no fear in love. We'll continue here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, this can be tricky because we talk about fearing God, right? There are two different kinds of fearing God. There's the fear of God that you get when dad is coming and you're in trouble, right? I, I was trying to make my kids clean their room this morning. My son was jumping up and down on the bed and my daughter announced, Titus isn't helping. And so I do this thing where I walk... As heavily as possible. And what does that do? Puts the fear, of, the fear of dad in him, right? Uh-oh, I better do what I'm supposed to do. I'm in trouble. Um, there's a different kind of fear, right? Um, there's a kind of fear that comes with, like, oh, I love C.S. Lewis. He, he talked about uh, Jesus like he was a lion, right? And he says, wait a minute, a lion? Is he dangerous? Is he safe? He's like, of course he's not safe. Right? You have to take him seriously. He's a lion. God is something to be taken seriously. We don't flippantly treat him like he's nothing. Right? We, we fear God in the respect that we understand the power behind him. I, I own a shotgun. I go hunting sometimes. Right? I'm not afraid of my shotgun, but I don't play with it. Does that make sense? When I climb over a fence, I put it in one place. I walk down a ways and climb over a fence, and then I go back and get it. Right? Because I don't want to accidentally shoot myself or the guy next to me um, because I fear the consequences of treating it lightly. This fear he's talking about is punishment. This is Titus afraid of dad coming and spanking him for not cleaning his room. Um, There is no fear in love, meaning like we're in this relationship with Christ and we don't fear his punishment. Fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if we live our lives afraid of Jesus coming and sending us to hell, if that is the gospel that people preach to you, they're not telling the truth. In reality, We live in this relationship with Christ that makes us confident, that makes us aware, that makes us like through and through. And sometimes that's a process. I know folks that live in fear of judgment still, um, but they slowly become aware of it. They slowly overcome that false gospel of works. I have to be perfect for God to love me. Um, And in reality, we pursue perfection because, because he loves us. I... I've been married for, I don't know, like 19 years this coming summer, right? Got it right. Um, I don't need to woo my wife again. I don't need to get her to marry me again. But I try to be a perfect husband. Why do I try to be a perfect husband? Because I think my wife deserves a perfect husband. Because I love her, right? I don't need to earn God's love. I don't need to earn his approval. But I work to be perfect for Jesus. Because I love him and he loves me. Right? Because that's the nature of relationship. Um, We love because he first loved us. Did you catch that? We are able to love. We love, period, because he loved us first. He took those steps. He fixed the part of us that was broken and enabled us to do so. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I'm going to say that one more time. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, sometimes we make hate into a bigger word than what John is talking about here, right? If you, I don't know, pick the person that you have complained about most. If you spend more time complaining about them and wishing them ill than you do putting effort forward to, like, serve them and, like, be Jesus to them, 
Guess what? That's a tall order, isn't it? If there are folks you sit around and like pour gas on the fire of your anger, I did this for years. Anybody ever do that? Or you sit there and you think, oh, and then that guy did this. Oh, and then he said this, and then he said that, and then this is what happened, and then this happened. And you just get it to the point where you're just like burning up inside angry. Like you just pour gas on that fire. Like that, that isn't love. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has not seen. Now watch this. John's talking about an eyewitness. He says, I'm an eyewitness. I saw God's love manifest in Jesus. I saw Jesus in the flesh. I'm able to testify about this. This eyewitness thing is over and over again played out. And he's about to toss out like a Jewish rabbi argument. Okay? Because the rabbis would do this. This is called an argument from the lesser to the greater. Watch this. Um, if you don't love your brother, who you can see, right? Um, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Meaning the obligation to love the people around you, right, who you see, is small compared to the obligation to love and trust God who is invisible. We don't see him. We don't run into Jesus every day. We don't like these are these things. You love your brothers and sisters. You pursue holiness. You live this life. And if you can't manage that, it's, it's not a good sign. And it's not something you do out of your own effort. You do it out of walking in harmony and relationship with Christ. It is a byproduct of a well-assembled machine. And we're all a work in progress, right? But the idea thing is that we're working on that progress. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Sit down and read the Sermon on the Mount if you want to see where he said it, right? It's right in the heart of Jesus' teachings. And in fact, actually, Jesus goes so far as to say, pray for people who persecute you. That's not even your brother. Like people who aren't your brother in Christ and are persecuting, you're supposed to pray for them. Just to serve people who, like, mistreat you. Carry the weight for a person, you know, hey, carry this for me for a mile. Well, carry it two miles to show the difference. Um, we're supposed to exude this kind of love, to be this kind of next-level people, ultimately photocopies of Jesus. Um, This is a lot of text, and I tried to hit this over and over again from the same angle, right? And I'll make it very clear. Um, The love you have for the folks around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, your family in Jesus, um, the people God has given you to love, right? That love is a byproduct of your love with Jesus, if you can't manage the one, there's a problem with the other. You've got a gasket missing, and it's leaking out somewhere, and you've got to fix it. Um, it's not a little thing. How does this apply practically? Gossip. Right? Isn't that the worst word in the world? But doesn't gossip taste great? It's better than chocolate. Isn't it? Oh, let me tell you all about what I heard. Or why don't you tell me why this person did this now or what's really going on isn't that fun just pouring your heart out about how much you dislike the people around you and how rotten they are compared to you small town small churches right paul mentions gossip next to adultery repeatedly next to witchcraft repeatedly but it's funny how churches like to talk about adultery and witchcraft but they don't like to talk about gossip um sit down and scroll through your facebook and see what kind of love comes out of you. Right? 
Think about the things that consume your emotional and mental energy. If it's all anger and resentment, like, you got to fix it. This is an especially hard time for this, isn't it? It is. It's a really, really tough time in history, like in, in this nation's cultural development. We all want to hate each other. It's not good, not acceptable. Like God calls us to be different. God calls us to love each other when it's hard. And that means that we go out of our ways to accommodate the people in the room around us. And it means that we offer a lot of grace to each other. Oh, that guy drives me nuts. Well, I should try not to drive you nuts, and you should try to love me despite the fact that I drive you nuts, right? Um, we're going to close in prayer. I think I'm, well, I'm right on time. Um, and I, on that note, by the way, I'm going to remind you, um, we are bathroom renovating. I forgot to say this in announcements. Um, if you have questions about bathroom renovation, uh, 